help me take this mask off. But you'll die. Nothing can stop that now. Just for once, let me look on you with my own eyes. So hello, this is the second episode of a new podcast series. The last one was The Last Wand of Belief. So welcome to the second episode. I have with me Dapey Dapey today. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. We're going to be talking about my article this time. So an article that I've wrote called The Duality. And I wrote that on the 12th of May. Uh, so only four days ago now. But again, it seemed to have teased out thoughts in both of us. Yeah, we'll see where we go. I mean, just to give a brief overview of the article itself. Obviously, I started my introduction with a, a definition of the duality. And obviously, all that is, everybody understands what a duality is, I hope. So in the definition, it's the quality or condition of being dual, or we have an instance of opposition or contrast between two concepts or two aspects of something, a dualism. And I'm sure everybody who's listening to this call has this understanding of our you know, our world that we live in, you know, so we have up, down, left, right, male, female, no matter where you look, everything is dual. To carry on from that, we also, which we touched on in the first podcast, is the division that seems to be seeded by the system itself that kind of forces mankind into even yet more divisions. So we're, we already have these, what I suppose I'd term them as natural divisions between everybody and then we have the system enforcing even more so pushing um, political divisions pushing divisions on anything so even down to the whole idea uh, of an argument is kind of like setting up two sides of a story and really what I'm trying to do with this article is just bring up a few things that have been on my mind and also maybe see that it's kind of explained by the dualism. So a lot of the thoughts, a lot of the things that we see going on is, is can be explained by this concept of duality. So, Dapey, I don't know if you want to come in and just give your brief thoughts uh, on it or just like the, a, a surface view, and then maybe we can dig into some of the 
part by parts and, and certainly i know you wanted to maybe tuck into part one which is about the green man well yeah uh, so my first thoughts were like as you say dualism seems to be not a bad thing in itself it seems to be entirely um, natural and without dualism we wouldn't be able to be talking and a good example of maybe what's happening is this corruption of a natural dualism into something divided and an, a good example would be you brought up argument now argument would be this corruption of what is a discussion so discussion needs to have two parties but there is some way that we can interact whereas an argument forces those two poles apart and in fact separates what links them so those would be my my first thoughts i have some more but they're linked into the green man which was the first part of your article okay so just to touch on so when i'm saying about the duality and as i say you can see everywhere you're right you know the whole earth seems to work on on dualities and certainly the the human side of the story i mean obviously we see duality in nature but putting nature aside for the moment and just looking at you know at a man's normal everyday life as you say, without that duality, there just wouldn't be nothing to be working at all. But what I do think and I do feel is that to understand that there's a duality in, well, in virtually everything that we are, it's almost to me like some of the other sides of the coin are being obscured and are being taken out of the of the equation where, when they should be there. So there are things that haven't got the duality. And one of those, what well, the biggie for me, the, the biggest one is the the concept and the difference between the material and the spiritual is the big duality and that's been obscured for man i have a feeling the frustration it's like the frustration with this whole event the frustration with, with your life sometimes is that you feel you almost feel powerless you almost feel like you don't have the power to attend some of these problems even if we roll back before this event I myself had some major problems going on in my life the back end of last year but now a lot of that i have come to a place where you know i've got a home again i've things have kind of settling down and going in the right direction and i think having that positive outlook on things anyway is going to help that going back to this distinction between being powerless to do anything about what's going on and i think it's what you see on the surface what we see in the material is maybe not what's kind of going on on the flip side of the coin i think there's a big piece of the story that we're missing and maybe later on i don't think this is going to be a big conversation and it might actually end up spilling out onto another podcast to be honest the way it's going but there's certain things that in my life that i've experienced and i'm not just talking about weird physical encounters which i have gone on about before but actual what i'd term as, as spiritual and what i'm trying to say here is is that we all feel like we have no power that we don't have the power to do anything about what's going on i, I think that one of the key things to this is is understanding or, or at least getting a better concept of this division between material and spiritual even though we don't we you know we don't seem to have full control in the material world we might have more ability to do things on the spiritual side as well which would resonate back into the material as a as a whole probably losing <laughs> no, no. 
losing everybody's train of thought here. But let's go on to part one anyway, into the green man. And I'll maybe come back on to what I'm saying a little bit later when, when we get back onto it. The first part is the green man. The reason I put that in there really, one was because I had an experience just before the lockdown started. And that experience was is that I went into a uh, into the centre of Birmingham City in the UK with my brother. I'll try and keep this fairly short. We just went and visited Birmingham. It's not something I do very often. I don't like going into the big city. I don't feel that comfortable. In a metropolis, you know, there's thousands of people everywhere. Birmingham City is massive. And normally before the lockdown, it was just swarming with people and very much like London. But there's some interesting places and some interesting architecture to, to look at. And I always like going to look at places like cathedrals and things like this, not necessarily going in, but just taking notes, walking around and looking at the architecture and stuff. So one of my aims was to go and have a look at the at the architecture and that of the of the main cathedral in Birmingham city centre and also to because of the uh, you know the old mud flood thing and going on about the, the windows being lower levels and being covered over and things like this and small doors that shouldn't be there that are too small for people to go through and things like this and this Birmingham City Cathedral is rife with it. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's got windows half buried going down that have been concreted in and all sorts. That's a bit of an aside and a, sorry to waffle there, but that was my reason for going to Birmingham was to go and look at some of these buildings. But as you walk away from the city centre in, in one direction, it goes through a place called Digbeth which is quite old. There's quite a lot of old buildings, uh, as in housing and shops with houses above. And it's all, I suppose on first glance, you'd think it was Victorian, but it might be, a lot of it might go back beyond the Victorian times. And again, a lot of this mud flood type architecture rings true as you're walking down this, through this place called Digbeth. Halfway down this place, so, you know, looking at these buildings, looking at all these windows that sunk into the ground and everything and passing stupid comments to my brother who's not even remotely interested in any of it, but I still keep waffling and he humours me listening to what I'm saying. There's like this technological mall <laughs> halfway down and when i say technological i mean it's it's full of like there's there's cafes there's virtual reality arcades and all sorts in there but dominating right in the almost in the middle of this mall which is an open mall by the way it's not closed over is this statue of the green man and it must be about ooh, 30 35 feet high it's quite it, it's quite an immense statue there's an inscription on that statue and I'll, I'll put it in the article and what it says is i am inhuman i belong not to men and governments i have nothing to do with the creaking machinery of humanity i belong to the earth i am the green man son lover and guardian of the earth goddess Let's feed in some of your thoughts now, Davey, to my little experience that I had just before the lockdown. And I was stood there in awe of this statue, especially realising that all around it was the synthetic reality in computers and everything all around it that just it was just swamped around and this thing was just standing there in the middle of it and it just made no sense whatsoever that this statue should be there or even that they'd left it there or or put it there or whatever it's just 
crazy to me it really was it just made such a big statement what i liked in your articles when you said to you it symbolizes a time before the domestication of mankind the time before man was devoted to human it fits in when he says that i am inhuman and as you said there aren't really any myths or stories that go with the green man he seems to just exist and in fact even the name the green man only came about in the 1930s before then he was just known as it was known as a foliate mask or a foliate head and when you look at the green man you see the leaves he's surrounded by these almost like a laurel of leaves which would be like a crown often these leaves come out of his mouth and i think that the green man is a Western equivalent of the well-known yin-yang sign. So you have one side of the terrain, which is the man, which is self, and then he's surrounded and coming out of his mouth is another side of the terrain, which is nature. And he even says that he is the sun, lover and guardian of the earth goddess. And when these leaves come out of his mouth, because we speak words, and on one level it remind, makes me think of the true source of our maps coming from nature but on another aspect as i say you have the man is one side of the yin yang and then you have the nature is the other side and then in between you have what's known as the lamina and the lamina is going back to duality so in this current event it seems like it's all division between the dual but really there's supposed to be a threshold so the two sides can communicate and so think of a heathen it's a heat man of the heat wandering through nature and learning from nature and the two interacting and him forming his models from this direct experience compared to the artificial lamina which we are now living in so if you picture the yin yang is the green man with this lamina I think this is actually telling us something about what has gone wrong in the world and how this parasite operates. And I think that this parasite is operating in the lamina. So instead of there being division, there should be a threshold between the two terrains, the terrain of nature and the terrain of the self or the terrain of man. And where I might differ from you, I don't think the main division is between the material and the spiritual. I think the spiritual itself is divided, but it's not divided, it's separated, but then reunited in this lamina. So you would have the body and the soul, but these two together make up the spirit. So the spirit of man is made up of body and soul. And when they're united properly, then man has spirit and he has power. When nature and man are not divided, but there is a separation, but then there's a threshold where they reunite and learn from each other. This is when the spirit has power. And I think the current event and all the events are about this conflation of the lamina, which would be almost the realm of maps, with one of the two terrains, and they do it on both ways. And so I think the green man and that poetry tells us something about what they're doing is taking something natural about the spirit, which is it divides itself from itself and then it looks like there's man and nature there's body and soul but then it has this threshold where it reunites and it learns about itself and it's very simple really and all of the crap and all of the bollocks which is being pushed is operating in this lamina and it's messing up both sides of the terrain and it's basically forcing us into this strange division in between the two and it may not sound the easiest thing to follow and that's because I was reading your article again this morning and I only started understanding my own thoughts on the matter. <laughs> but I'm hoping to write an article to explain it a bit better, but that's the best I can give you at the moment.
It's like anything when you're trying to come to terms with things and what's happening in the world today is unprecedented and there's probably a reason for that. It seems to be a bad thing, but it, it may also be be a, a flip side to this as this is maybe necessary for, it's almost like it might be necessary for the, for the growth of of the of the species basically we don't believe in the theory of evolution i'm sure i can say that for both of us but that doesn't mean that there's not an evolution per se if you know what i'm saying here so the evolution of of man while the animal kingdom and the the natural world uh, may not change or it might adapt to its circumstances as humans do anyway at other levels may be playing into the actual evolution of of mankind itself into something else and this plays back into that blooming song again when the fearless come and man being god again those words seem to be playing to all this again for the fearless to come i would i would have to suppose that man is one side of the terrain himself and nature again are reunited and so spirit is still has its two hearts but is reunited in this lamina and that's why they are fearless and if you think about in the olden days when it was more what we think of religion like the very one of the pr- names for the pope is pontus the bridge between man and god so the priest class are trying to take over this lamina between the two terrains which are really one there's one terrain but they're two aspects two ways of looking at it and I think in the new priest class of this scientism and politicians and all of the bollock stories they push, it's the same agenda in a different form of taking over the threshold between the terrain of nature and the terrain of man. That's why I think of the heathen, this man wandering, you know, through the countryside and observing nature, lying under the stars, uh, gazing at the sun. All these things are, it's not a bad thing that the oneness of spirit has done this, but I think this should be a threshold is where they're operating which is why they try to divide because then they're pushing everyone away from this lamina where they want to operate and i think transhumanism links into it i think we may get into it a bit later and i think this is where this parasite is operating and so one side they go on about oneness all the time but their oneness 
doesn't take into account that the true oneness is meant to be now dual but then linked with the threshold to reunite so they do that on one level on another level they push this pure dualism where there is no threshold and the reason why that's a, they push it into this dualism is so they can take this lamina which is the part of reality where man reunites with nature i think that may be a better explanation of what i was trying to get to i think this is half the the battle type is is that i think a lot of this is expressed a lot of what you're saying can be found and expressed in writings and texts and in life itself everywhere and i think part of the problem is in the fact that a lot of this stuff seems to have been indicated and hidden away and as, as i mentioned to you before in the call it the pre-call this work of Rudolf Steiner I came across yesterday because of, of Mesley and she sent me this basically a three and a half hour lecture. Some of these concepts that you, you've just been talking about are really in this lecture kind of not but expressed maybe slightly differently if you see what I'm kind of getting at. It, it's almost like the, the problem to me has been that we've got all these stories all over the place going back throughout our growing up our education and things that our parents have told us and all the myths and fables and everything else and it seems that a lot of this knowledge and of this division and everything else it's all there or, or seems to be there from this is other people that have been thinking about these things and trying to express what is going on out in the realm is there for man to kind of work out for themselves but i think because we we kind of look for or try to find answers in in these models is kind of seems to, to me to be a bit of a, a mistake because it kind of pulls you it kind of pulls you into fantasy a lot of the time and pulls you away from maybe think the truth of it as you're trying to express and will probably come to when you write your article again is going to be it's so much simpler than is expressed in in the work of all these people because they they kind of still got their fingers in the story you see if you see what i'm trying to say everything's always in in the flipping stories and you're kind of pulled this way and that and it's kind of not quite described how it actually is on the tin if you know <laughs> or in the tin rather i think i know exactly what you're saying because I've been reading about this this guy who wrote a book called The Gentle Art of Tramping. In the 1920s, he would just wander around the countryside, you know, to sleep under the stars. And he said he never had, it wasn't about how many miles he went, but how much time he could spend and how much he could just interact with nature. And he would take a journal and he would, he would just write poetry. And he said, but this will be your true poetry where you learn from nature. And so you mentioned Steiner. And Steiner, I think, comes from the, the long school of like German idealism going back to Goethe, if that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, that's right. Goethe, he would just go out into nature and he would just, again, here's a dualism. He would say, as man has an inner life and he has his outer self, his body, which you'd say are two aspects of the same thing. So he would say the tree has an innerness and an outerness. 
And when he would just wander through nature, he wouldn't try and force his preconceived concepts onto a tree or a leaf. He would just observe it and almost try, in a sense, like have a oneness with it, but knowing he's still different. And he would say that the truth of nature would reveal itself to him and he would understand its innerness, but not in a way that you can put into words. So here I would think again, when I've been talking about going back to the, t- the terrain, there's two terrains here again, but they're two aspects of the same like nature and man and maybe there's tree and man as well so there's many of these dualisms where they're linked and again so he is meeting this other side of himself almost in nature through this threshold what we're talking about when saying we get lost in our thoughts and our words and our ideas on one aspect we're pushing them onto them on another aspect even when we're with nature it's not this you know this marriage of the two terrains like the threshold is a tool for the two terrains to understand themselves again but we always just want to live in this threshold between them which actually divides it further which i think is linked to the map terrain which i've been calling the map terrain conflation i actually think it might be better to call it a map terrain substitution so we substitute the map for the terrain and then we forget about the two terrains and that's when we become lost in the fantasy world so going back to your dualism so there is one spirit and it the spirit is, has these different aspects and it's divided so it can otherwise you couldn't have knowledge or consciousness can you have unconsciousness to have consciousness and a man let me put this a different way and then when we're walking through nature the two terrains can meet again and the threshold of a lamina is how it's done but when we meet we get lost in this threshold and we forget about the two terrains and this is the fantasy world which we get drawn into the tool becomes our everything we forget about the two terrains and your next section was on transhumanism and i think transhumanism is a ramping up of this so the two terrains of man and nature are left aside and there's nothing wrong with the lambda and threshold but this is what the parasites or the people that run the show are pushing us into and this is like where the map terrain conflation operates or the parasite operates and this would be like transhumanism or the matrix and this is the artificial world and this is the world where they can control us so they've taken what was given to us for these purposes and that is what they are corrupting and they do it by this fake oneness and by dividing people away from each other so they have this intermediate ground and that intermediate ground is necessary for the two terrains to interact so they've now divided spirit that's why we have no spirit left and that's how they can control us through the lamina in the yin yang is one way of putting it and that's why i think you're right when you put in it your article the use of occult symbols, predictive programming, and ritual magic concepts. Gnosticism, Freemasonry, alchemy, Kabbalah, and ceremonial magic all mixed up with the new one world order agenda. So they've taken this bit and they've blown it out of all proportions and that's their control mechanism and that's why I think you're right when you say it should be much simpler because it all goes back to this guy Goethe in this from Steiner's line and he didn't need all these elaborate symbols and stuff and like learning every aspect of the Kabbalah He went out into nature, he tried not to impose his ideas on it, he tried to just see directly the inner aspect of it, and it's all very simple. And so all of these, as you say, these bollock stories that we're given are this corruption of this very simple, simple tool where the two terrains of man and nature can return to each other.
Yeah, and to me, the proof is in the pudding when you look at what's going on in this agenda that's playing out right now. I mean, we'll come to the transhumanism stuff. I mean, you just touched a a little bit on it anyway, but we'll come to that in a bit. But if you just, again, take the step back and look at what's happening right now, and obviously this plays into, all plays into this Agenda 2030 that's been banded around the app realm for God knows how long now. And what we can see now is it playing out. So last year, uh, maybe going back a bit further, obviously we had Greta's army appear with the, the climate agenda and saving the planet. And all this lockdown and everything of humanity is playing into this because obviously, you know, we're having the reports now. Look at how clear the air is. We've never had such beautiful skies. Now man's been stuck in the prison for, for the last few months and pollution levels have gone down. The waters are sparkling and everything's absolutely fantastic for nature. And the whole play of the agenda is to get mankind into the city environments on a big scale now. And this is all that seems the agenda is about, is is the separation. We've already managed to separate man from nature for, for so many years now, building up this synthetic reality in big time. And this is basically the nail in the coffin. So I doubt it's even going to take to 2030. They've moved the agenda on so fast now that the separation of man from nature will be a done deal. They're just going to keep us completely away from it. So we're not going to be allowed under the under the uh, you know the the information that we can see on on the agenda 2030. It's going to be great swathes of countryside and land that nobody's going to be allowed to go into. We're all going to be based in cities in virtual reality frigging life sitting at desks, working from home, schooling from home. This natural side of man is just being vaporised. And this is all it seems to be really about, is that is the separation. There isn't any more to it. I really don't. I think it is by putting this division in man's nature itself is the, the key to the control. It really is. So... And the part of the, the evil genius of it is contained in the whole like climate change agenda, which they make out it's all about uh, nature, nature, nature. We've got to look after nature. But they forget that man is another aspect of nature. And by separating him out, that means you, that you don't care about nature because man has an aspect of his being deep within him, which is freedom. Nature seems to have an aspect of its being which one could say is more like necessity. And that's why I think that there are two aspects of the spirit. And so man should be in nature and these two aspects of it are this this return. So there's no way that they actually give a damn about nature. Otherwise, they wouldn't try to divide man against it because man and nature are the same thing, the oneness but the oneness always is represented in two ways. So by dividing man from nature, then you show that you don't give a damn about nature. Exactly, Diaper. You're hitting on my very thoughts, is that man and nature are they're not even two sides of the same coin. They are intrinsically involved. Again, going back to this... Steiner, some of the thoughts that are in some of his work is absolutely incredible. It's just a realisation. So we realise that a lot of the science we're given is is absolutely bollocks. It doesn't, it it works for a, a process. 
And then we, what Steiner kind of goes into is, is like the, so if you look at things like geology, it's given that there's like a timeline for what's happening, for what's happened. And it's always nature that's caused the the change in the structure of the earth, how it's changed, how it's formed. It's always been just nature itself. It's like given a, a separate label as this is just a process of nature that has brought the layers of rock into being. And you see where I'm going with it. It's, a, it's just nature itself that's caused that. But what the work of Steiner is saying is, well, no, that's not the case, is that without man, this would not have happened, that man and nature are intrinsically connected and it is mankind itself that causes a lot of what we see in nature anyway. So it's almost like this separation that we see in today, it's almost like it's not just the containment of man and the, the control of man. I wouldn't be surprised that going down the line as, as this progresses and, and you see man moving into this transhuman world, that nature itself, I, I, I hate to think what might happen to the other side. I really do. It wouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't exist anymore because there's no such thing as objective reality because the reality we experience is made up of the subject and I'm going to use the word object even though it's not a very good word for this but it's the two sides of the duality which bring into being the phenomenal world so if we're separated away from it then it ceases to exist and when you're talking about Steiner I think he goes back again he, say to Gotha I'm not sure if it's Steiner who said this I don't think it was I think I got this from Michael Tassarian and I think it was Wilhelm Wright but he's from this German idealist school and I think it was Wilhelm Wright but I could be wrong so don't quote me anyone out there and he said that the unconscious is just the body. So what we call the unconscious is basically just the way that your body works. That's that other part of you. And so when people talk about collective unconscious, we kind of think that you're talking about all the minds of all the rest of the people, but really it's nature. It's the whole of nature. So that nature is our shadow, as other people like Jung put it. Well, didn't, Jung used the word shadow. I don't know if he said nature was shadow, but I would say our shadow is nature. It's the other side of ourselves. So when people talk about all these feelings that we repress, these parts of ourselves, this is nature we're repressing. So nature is the unconscious. And then in our body, we have our own individual parts of the unconscious. And then we have our conscious side, which is where we see all our thoughts and the, the thoughts that we know about. So that is where this division comes from. We have our unconscious is our body and then we have our consciousness. And then the broader division is between nature, which is the unconscious or our shadow, and then our consciousness. So I don't know if that links into what you were thinking about. It's all linking in, isn't it? Steiner also. So we have another duality, don't we? The other duality is when we go to sleep. What happens when we go to sleep? Now Steiner is quite specific in what he says. He says that when we go to sleep, we leave. The spirit leaves the body. It's just got your house. You're, you're not there in your body. I don't know, even maybe approaching the realm of where you go, what happens to yourselves when you die. Again, this is just stories, but it's just a way of, of looking at things. I would differ just like, because I wouldn't understand it as leaving your body. I would understand it as more returning to your body. So 
and your day you're more separate out in your your thoughts and your consciousness but when you're asleep that consciousness is lowered down so if an unsane the unconscious is your body and the deeper unconscious is nature and when you're asleep you're down that's why you, you feel like you're you're unconscious is because you're down to all the swirling you know will of your entire body rather than the day where you're more separate out from this swirling will of your body which when you look at externally looks like a physical body it's kind of different expressions of similar thoughts and again it all comes back to the map terrain it's not just what's gone and been written in the past even now when you try and express something your own ideas and again as an aside i just want to say the thing that's put out there is does anybody have an original thought is there any any such thing and, and i completely disagree with the negativity of that statement it's almost like what's gone in the past is and putting together what other ideas and seeing what other people have wrote the thoughts that they've formed you're building on that and you're building your own way through so i differentiate between originality and novelty and novelty is something rather dull when you're just in your own tiny conscious thought whereas originality comes from as you say where do these real true ideas come from and if they're coming from the unconscious or the depth of being you know if you've been thinking about something for a long time and you forget about it and you write an article it just kind of comes out yeah where's that coming from and again that's coming from when we look at externally the unconscious it looks like our body and then there's the deeper unconscious which is nature and so that's where this is all coming up from and now we then put them into symbols and i think part of the problem is coming from you know i could pick up a book on freemasonry i could pick up a tarot and i can see all these symbols that someone else has taken up from nature now the symbols i wouldn't say are un in nature in a platonic sense you know this isn't this realm of these symbols existing somewhere it's just the unconscious or the shadow of nature which the other side of nature man has experienced directly like the terrain experiencing the terrain across the threshold and then he uses the symbols in order to cross the threshold to another being like when i'm talking to you another crossing of the threshold he uses the symbols so the symbols don't actually exist in nature i wouldn't say because this is beyond some but the problem is this is what we talked about before i think is then if i read some book on freemasonry when i've never experienced the terrain like goethe did himself when he didn't force his preconceived ideas onto nature he would experience the terrain the terrain would reunite again he would understand its innerness which is like its shadow and then he would write about it now i read his book and it all seems lovely and then i go out into nature and i'm no longer interacting with terrain and the terrain across the threshold i am forcing these symbols back onto it as if they actually exist in the tree when they bloody don't so I think some of the problems are coming from this when we're and this is all linked into how we are then controlled because they then the system has corrupted again these symbols even further for its own aims and plants them back into us and then we force their corrupted symbology back onto the terrain of nature and onto our own terrain of self and so we, we destroy an actual real crossing of the threshold with ourself and with nature because of their corrupted symbology. An example, in our last podcast, I, I think I said there, that I like this idea of the crossing of the river sticks of dissonance. 
which would link into all this stuff. And when a man gets to this dissonance, Tony becomes angry, or he gets confused, he which I found myself a lot in recently, this this state. Now, but then they corrupt this myth about the River Styx, because you've got to get on some guy's ferry boat, and if you don't pay his toll of two bloody, some silver, he chucks you over it, and then you die. So, but if you get rid of his bloody ferry boat, on one side you have the underworld, which we've been thinking about, you know, you have ideas of hell and Hades, but the underworld could just be this shadow or the unconscious, like nature one side, on the other side is the side of man. But in the Greek myth, if you went into the river, like voluntarily, you became immortal, which is where the Achilles thing comes from. Yeah. Again, when we take this corrupted symbols, we're destroying this idea about how this duality, these two terrains of man and nature, which are part of the one spirit, how they interact, because we're for not only do we force our own symbols on, well, we force other people's symbols, someone else who has experienced this onto it, and it's even worse now because we're forcing their corrupted bullshit models onto it. It's a complete minefield, isn't it, life? <laughs> it really is. But as you say, it does feel like it should just be much simpler. It just, I mean, it almost seems like it should just be like the man of the heath who just, he wanders through like woods and is a trickling thing. He knows that he is part of it, but he has now differentiated it. But he knows there is still a threshold between the two. And he doesn't try to, like Blake says, he doesn't murder to dissect, whereas we murder to dissect, which is, we're so, being so programmed and abused and conditioned that what should be so simple now seems so difficult. But even then I think, oh yeah, it should be so simple, but it seems so difficult to make it simple. I think this again plays into like alchemy and stuff like this, doesn't it? And I think we had a we had our conversation the other night off the record, didn't we, about and I said that for me alchemy is just like the application of heat. But it could also look at this as the applying alchemy to the situation and, and to life itself. And this applying of the heat to kind of boil it all up and concentrate everything, to concentrate into this simplistic rendition of what's actually going on. So not only can, you know, you understand it for yourself, but you can also then relay it to other people a lot easier then rather than this has been half the problem all along, isn't it? Especially when you look at things like the models of science, it's all flowered out and goes off into all different tangents of bollocks but underlying when you look at what's been given the evidences the premises whatever when you look through what what you've been given it is essentially just a it's just a big riddle basically that's been laid out before you and it's it's much simpler everything it's always much simpler than than what they're telling you they just make it out to be complicated so whether it's science or economics or anything else it, it's always confused and made out to be some extremely you need to be an expert to understand this but the reality is, is when you go looking at anything, when you go looking at any subject, that's not the case. The case is it's it's way simpler than what is being expressed. An example would be, I, I like to go back to the taste of a strawberry. Now, somehow that, you know, a chemist who's an expert in flavours and has all his bloody equations, it, that's supposed to tell you more about the taste of a strawberry and going down to the market, buying a strawberry and eating it. And we forget that the very basis of all of this stuff 
is the phenomenological experience. And I even think that word comes from light. I'd have to double check. But if you look, I think if you look back, it comes phenomena even just comes from light. And so the very aspect of eating a strawberry is the experience and you're taking it into your mouth and you're eating it. And everything else is just a tool for getting by in the world. But we've we look at it the exact and it's that simple and when you talk about alchemy yet yeah, the books are so complex i mean you say from the best you can get to it's the application of heat now heat is obviously linked to fire and heraclitus who was a pre-socratic and the reason i say pre-socratic philosophers is that nietzsche was of the opinion that from socrates the entire philosophy just went wrong and it was just all about, well, this isn't his words, but you could steal from the probably fictional Tesla when he says about, you know, scientists just get lost and lost in all their models. But because you said heat, it made me think of Heraclitus, who viewed the word as world as fire, and by fire we could think of spirit. Now, I'm taking this quote from an article by Michael Tessarian on The Contrarian, and this is Heraclitus. Men do not know how that which is drawn in different directions harmonizes with itself. The harmonious structure of the world depends upon opposite tension, like that of the bow and the lion. And I always thought that was a rather nice, it links into fire and this idea of, as Tessarian calls it, the contrarian. Yeah, that's great. And for all, from William Blake, his famous poem, Tiger, Tiger, who could frame thy fearful symmetry and Perhaps that's the same for man. Our fearful symmetry, who could frame it? Because we have these two sides of us, the inner and the outer, the unconscious, the conscious, the body, the soul, and body being body being a part of us, which is part of nature. And then it's like we have a part of necessity and a part of freedom. And so this will is like split. So who could frame this fearful symmetry from William Blake? And I think that the Western mystical tradition in Blake and uh, people like this, and in Steiner and Goethe and the German idealists, is far beyond this bullshit eastern oneness and there is a oneness but i think that the oneness as expressed in the fearful symmetry of william blake is far more descriptive and closer to what we act where we actually are and he expressed it so in just a few what lines of poetry in his famous tiger tiger poem a poem which a child could read and i kind of lost my train of thought on, on that but, <laughs> but william but william blake's poem tiger tiger seems to express all of these things so simply because he was a man you know a spiritual man who liked being in nature and on the other side he talked about you know the satanic mills and he has a famous poem uh, painting of Newton with his scroll coming out of his head and he's holding a pair of dividers and he's measuring the world but the scroll he's measuring is just coming out of his head crazy isn't it I mean just going back to your strawberry again it's to me and I think we've had touched on this before or we've talked about it or you know, chatted on the, on text or whatever but just the, the thought that you go through your process of eating the strawberry and your taste of the strawberry and that that experience of doing that and then at the same time we have the scientist I was probably using the wrong word but scientist is too general but so we have the scientist who is trying to synthesize the taste of the strawberry but they can never manage to do it so they never no matter how many concoctions 
concoctions uh, of different flavors they put together or whatever new unique one flavor they come up with it never ever ever tastes the bloody same does it i apologize to the listeners i I never mean to interrupt so much i'm not very good at anticipating when someone's finished talking but anyway bit of an aside uh well i just mentioned Blake's murder to dissect. What you were saying made me think of transhumanism. Because the reason they can't is they're trying to digitize reality and reality and nature are analog. So their synthetic one is trying to digitize. And when you digitize, you can never get the fullness of the experience, which is the same as part of what they are doing with this dividing is this digitizing. And then it made me even think of the old 9-11, where you have your, you know, you've got two ones. So not really a one, but then you have your two becomes one, which would be a two going into a one and a zero, which would be going into a two going into a digital one and zero. This all plays into stories again, doesn't it? And, and people's models and, and whatever else. But this whole push to essentially get man in a, again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, in a tank. Get him in a tank, get him in, in a, a virtual environment. So they've got the, the visual down to a T, they've got the sound down to a T, maybe the, the taste and smells. Uh, we know that, that scientists have been working on this for so long. You've got the, you know, I wouldn't be surprised that they're at least probably happy with where the technology they are now they've got all the senses covered pretty much so they could get ultimately get man in a tank get him smelling tasting see believing in everything that he's seeing as a world putting him into the the proverbial matrix and it plays into the flipping story again doesn't it of the devil basically creating a world where you've got he's the god and is then god of the digital world and is trapped mankind in it and it's fucking this is just it's just mental what's mental about it is is you can see this is exactly what the agenda is where it's playing to and what it wants and as you say the nature the earth where's that go what's going to happen <laughs> what is going to happen to nature without man and when you say it's mental i think you may be onto something more there because i was just thinking about synthetic reality this is just off the top of my head but i think about the word synthetic which comes from synthesis now the sin means together with and a thesis is like like an argument or a proposition so it's again it's this artificial substitution of what should be man and nature this like natural duality of spirits experiencing each other across the threshold but in a synthesis it's just one aspect of this which they're trying to like tap into and they're creating a uniting there because it's together with thesis this whole thing is we're looking at the big picture that is the reality of it and there's so much there's always so much to to go into and talk about but what we see playing out today it's pretty much undisputable where it's all going and then i'm looking at what other people are putting out in content and they're just going on about the coronavirus and it's a lie and blah 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 blah. it just goes on and on and on i'm thinking well and then you've got other people in the fear of the 5g and in fear of all these little bits and pieces where is the solutions coming from all this what is you know who's talking about the solutions to things and even if somebody is 
saying maybe the opposite. They're saying they're not bothered about what's going on. It's all about self then, isn't it? It's always back to, well, I'm all right. I'm fine with all this. It's then not looking at what are the implications for everybody. And when it comes down to it, if the implications are grim for everybody, you're still an individual and in the everybody. As we discussed last time on the podcast, we're all still part of the herd, whatever. Um, So the, the implications are that pretty dire, not just for mankind, but for the earth itself. And unless you face these things, pretending that I'm okay, my life's fine going forward, you know, maybe for the next five, 10 years or whatever, you know, we all can see what's happening out in the world. It's pretty obvious where, where this is all going. And it is, we're talking about the, this transhumanist agenda. It is pretty obvious where it's all going. But at the end of the day, you know, people can say this, can say, oh, you know, I'm all right. It's the best time to be alive, but it's going to fucking bite you on the arse. It's going to bite everybody on the arse at some point. Even now we can see, or I can see, there's people out there who are not wearing masks in America and the police are jumping on them and towing them away, towing them away to the station and causing a bit of a pain at the moment. Where does this go? for the individual and the families and whatever when it's all going in one direction and i think the totalitarian side of it and the and the pressure to go into the tank as it were however long that's going to take is going to intensify and then going back to the mpc thing is yeah it's pretty clear that there are probably countless millions of people that believe everything absolutely in line with the government the states the news totally believe everything they hear they're just going to go straight into the tank no doubt in my mind there's there's millions of them but there are many 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 people out there who beg to differ on so many different things and whether that be the vaccine or they don't like being pushed around they don't like being told what to do as in yeah you they can see that the virus is bullshit or at least maybe it's not bullshit it is the common cold or whatever but they can see that what they've been told is rubbish at some point every one of us is going to butt up is going to end up butting up you're either going to have to bow your head and get in the tank or it's going to go the other way for you and so this is the other duality that we're approaching and and i think all of us are approaching it one we've all got this choice to make coming soon as well by the looks of it and I think you're right because the dualities are connected by this laminar or threshold. Then the individual, he wants to separate out from the herd so he can be the individual. But why? At some point, he has to understand that even then the herd is still an aspect of because the herd is made up of bodies like him and come out of nature. So the herd is an aspect of his unconscious side. And I don't necessarily mean the collective unconscious in like a new age. I mean it in the way that I've been talking about it. So there's that aspect for a start. And then part of a despair, or it's not even the best word. I've been having some dark clouds over me. And part of it is, is that as much as there is the herd, there is some need for the other and the other added together is a people and for those to all you know go into the tank i'm never going to be happy with the world that i will live in in the last talk i mentioned how i had this feeling sometimes just a feeling in the air or in the wind that somehow nature she's the other aspect that's being forgotten and doesn't stand for it but 
as we in our aspect have freedom if we do not freely not go along with it then i don't think it just all magically goes fine either because nature has some necessity we have some freedom i don't think we can just leave nature behind and the the artificial world goes on forever so and again it's just a story it's just a way of trying to express this indescribable feeling and a story i would tell would be a, a reset back and then we have to go through this again and maybe we've been through it many times but even then i'm not saying that is actually what's happened it's just this feeling i get that nature as spirit has now divided into two but wants to reunite in this threshold but reuniting not into just a bland oneness the two still remains so can the people who are up to this stuff can they just leave nature aside forever? And can there be no repercussions for them? Perhaps they think so. And perhaps this is why they are trying to do this synthesis. So they're trying to create this a separate dividing line away from nature and tried like this is some artificial alchemy they're up to but i don't know if in the long run nature can just be left outside and she will stand for it but on the other side of that coin i don't think that means that you can just do nothing because we are the free aspect of it and so we have our responsibilities in that so there is still these two aspects there where i don't think it can stand forever but i don't think that means we can do nothing because that doesn't just make the world somehow as it should be again i'm you almost can't help but get into these stories so it's just it's just me trying to express this feeling on one side of it and nature doesn't stand for it and on the side of man there is an obligation to nature i don't know if that makes sense again Dave, you always make sense mate <laughs> It, I can play through it, work, work through it, and you know I'll probably listen back to this podcast, God knows how many times, and keep pulling things out of it. And I always pull things out of your thought bubbles for sure. But here's another one. The thing for me is we keep saying about going back to stories, and this is one one little tangent that keeps irking in my mind all the time. What if it's all one big story? This is the thing. What if even nature with man doing the alchemy, bringing it all down back to the simplest thing? What if the whole lot is a story? And so the analogy would be is what if, if we were in the tank already? And essentially it's like being, we're already in the tank. We don't know what this place is or, or where we are, do we? In reality, we don't fucking know where we are. So if I look at it as and think, well, what if we're already in the tank? And and this is like, a we're going in the tank when we're already in the tank, as it were. It's almost like everything could be deemed as a as a story. And when you're thinking about despair, it's like the, the despair is almost like the this place is trying to draw that despair out of you. You know, I always think about this luge farm theory and things like this and, and what what is it being took out of you? Everybody goes on about fear. Summit fee is summit feeding on your fear. And despair and fear is what this whole thing plays on, this whole realm plays on this. It's almost like sapping you. So uh, I think I sent you a message of the day. It's like, you know, is the earth the flipping parasite itself as well? It, it just plays on and on and on and on. And this goes back to the theory. Again, it's always theories. It's always stories. Is this whole place a trap for the being that you are? So the inner being that you are, as in the essence, is the whole place just one big fucking trap? It's, it's crazy. It really is. For me... I think that the stories are, they're just, they are messing up this threshold 
where the two sides of spirit get to know each other. And this is, so unlike Goethe, who just, he tried to see to the innerness of nature without projecting onto his stories. This is what at least I fail to do. And why I don't think we are in the tank already. And why I think the tank is a metaphor for what they are trying to achieve is the different, now you see people, you know, they're into like, <laughs> like you and I are doing now. You know, I, I see people, they, instead of meeting up to do like, you know, play games on the Friday night, like some people I know did now do, they now do it via the internet on like these apps. But it's the difference between talking to someone over the internet or over the phone or by a letter or by any of these means, which is like the artificial threshold of stories and symbols and words. Yeah. It's the difference between that and being in the presence of another man and you can tell there's something which is why i think there's a limit to the npc meme is that and it's not projecting onto them is that i can tell that there is something like goethe would do if you don't project onto them your models already formed then there is something in them which is like something in me and now i'm because of the way that the spirit operates in this duality but i can tell that there is something in them which is the same as in me and that's only when you're in the presence of them which is why i think that it, again it's not a tight logical argument and this i think is how this this threshold between different terrains is supposed to function without these projected stories. Now, if I then want to talk to someone else about it, this is what I think. I've been thinking about this the last few days as the point of stories is that if I have had an experience of the terrain and you've had a, an experience of the terrain, it's a way of the words are never that experience, but it's a way for you and me to try to see if we've had the same experience to see if by using words and symbols. Ah, oh, yes, I can understand what you were trying to say about this experience that you had when you were talking to someone or you were walking down the country lane. And I can't actually have that experience. So I think the whole point of stories, and this is the problem with the map terrain conflation, is the stories aren't meant to be the terrain. They're two aspects of the spirit, say you and me, now talking. We're not actually describing the experience as as the terrain but it's so you and i can compare our experiences which are inner and see if we've had a similar experience so i think so then the threshold isn't really about the stories and the maps and models that is a direct experience between two terrains which are two aspects of the overall oneness of spirit when i want to talk to you this is the point of words and symbols and spirit but they've been corrupted in like a platonic sense of projecting this discussion that we now have ah so he used this word or this symbol to express his experience which was a di direct experience between terrains across the threshold ah and then someone else goes away and forces those stories onto the terrain so that's why i think there is an actual function for these stories but i think that's how they've been corrupted and i think that's been weaponized even further through like the cult of experts ah this expert has this equation so now, instead of seeing it as just a way of two people expressing the same experience to see if they've had a similar experience, I take this expert or this priest's dogmas or his equations and then I force them onto the terrain, but now I'm murdering to dissect it and I will never have that experience of the two terrains meeting across the lamina. <laughs> but is that just more stories, TNG?
You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Well, going back to this, the MPC thing again, and this all plays into empathy, I know, but for me, the key to the MPC model and the MPC meme is it's not even about talking to people. You can walk around outside and for me i'm very sensitive whether that be psychically or whatever i am very sensitive in that way i can walk around and i can look at people when your eyes meet yeah there's a lot of characters out there that go around and they especially at the moment they're casting their face down they won't even look you in the eye but you get that so many times i'll be walking around and just a smile or a, a, a look of recognition a nod but you catch the eye and i look in that eye and i see i see a soul I see a spirit I see something aching to myself in that person and to me I wouldn't not for one moment describe that person as, as a, an NPC I can feel it in my being that there is a, another spirit there not a meter or a couple of meters it has to be two meters away by the way isn't it away from me who is the same or feels similar to myself Exactly, and because they may be functioning like an NPC, but when you're talking about their inner form, and again, the problem is if we then have this model which has some users, if we take it out when we engage with people, we're doing the opposite of what Goethe did, and we're pushing this model now onto everyone we meet, and we won't have this experience across the terrain which you just very well described of this thing. And when you talk about empathy, I always like the word sympathy, and sympathy is often misunderstood because it literally is the same word but the Greek root is sympathy, which means together suffering, because uh, pathy is suffering. The pa and in Latin, it's compassion, which literally means suffering together with another one. And because I mentioned William Blake a few times, because he is very much a thinker of the contrarian, as Desarian puts it, I'd recommend another poem to him, which is London by William Blake. And I'll just read the first two stanzas. Here we go. I wander through each chartered street, near where the chartered Thames does flow, and mark in every face I meet, marks of weakness, marks of woe. In every cry of every man, in every infant's cry of fear, in every voice, in every ban, the mind-forged manacles I hear. And I think the mind-forged manacles he talks about are these bollock stories that we just make up all the time. I totally agree. Well, yeah, it was, it was very useful for me to, I'm saying, engaging with another aspect of the spirit, but in a, a dual part of it. And we are able to go through these things. But I think it was a good ending because both in your description of what you had, what you experienced, and then William Blake's London. I think we have good examples of the terrain meeting the terrain across the threshold and also how this terrain meeting the terrain of this, these two terrains of the spirit meeting each other across the threshold, how it's being corrupted by whoever's coming up with this bollocks at the moment. I think we can 
in this podcast to you because we've got don't really want to make it much more than an hour to be honest after all the editing will probably be around about an hour so that's fine and maybe next time we can go into the the parasite part of the article and also by then as well you'll probably have put your thoughts down in your article i can see this being an ongoing process and thing between us mate certainly getting my thoughts together so i'll i just have to say thanks a big thank you because you really have managed to gel some of my thoughts together big time over the last few weeks i'm really grateful for it if you knew how how, how much i torment myself when i know i've got something coming out i'm I have got, I have, I'm full of self-doubt. Like I want, I, I, I'm like, I have nothing to say. What am I gonna say? Oh, I'm gonna be talking. I'm like this with my bloody website. When I start writing something, I'm really happy when I've got something done. But I'll go days where I live. I'm like in this fear state about about engaging in my own thoughts, which is a very, very strange state to be in. But there you go. Yeah, but like you said, you, you once you have engaged, you, you're kind of full throttle then, aren't you? So you don't, you kind of, you, your fears just vaporise and fall away. So anyway. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, thank, thanks for joining me again, Dapey, and I'm sure we'll be doing this again soon. And yeah, goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Of the love is wrapped in your